0: If you've been listening to my show, you know that the importer on the back of the bottle is one of the surest ways to guarantee a quality bottle of wine. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Taub Family Selections. Taub Family Selections is a dynamic, fourth-generation, family-owned wine import company with a truly incredible portfolio of fine wines from 11 countries. These wines not only embody the unique terroir in which they are produced, but the passion and integrity of each family member involved from vineyard to table. Notable estates include Mastro Berardino, Bertani, Travellini, Ferrari, Coldorcia, Trimbach, Jean-Luc Colombo, Jean-Michel Jarin, among many other renowned producers. They also have, from Bordeaux, Lafitte Rothschild from the left bank, and on the right bank, they have Chateau Lafleur. I'm telling you, these guys have it all. To find out even more, go to TaubFamilySelections.com. That's T-A-U-B, FamilySelections.com. Do you know about Grapes, the wine company? Grapes is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. They offer a remarkable selection of wines and spirits. The breadth and depth of their inventory is astounding. Add in an unparalleled level of expertise and customer service, and you could see why other retailers are green with envy. Through their extensive and ever-growing network of relationships from around the world, Grapes, the wine company, offers the opportunity to discover the newest and most exciting wines and revisit the classics from both established and emerging wine regions. Grapes features a selection of over 4,000 wines and spirits. The Wall Street Journal has called Grapes one of the most influential retailers in the US, and it rings true to this day. Wine is a joyful thing, and Grapes the Wine Company exists to connect people with the choices bottles. Ordering is super simple using their easy to navigate website or go old school. And call to speak with one of their wine consultants for an in-depth feedback for your wine and spirits needs. Call them at 914-397-9463. That's 914-397-WINE. Or email your general inquiries to info at grapes the wine co. com. That's info at grapes t-h-e-w-i-n-e-c-o.com. You'll be glad you did. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, hey, everybody. What's up? It's your boy, MJ, and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is a fifth-generation winemaker of – how do you say that? Azalea. Azalea. (laughs) Whenever, I just let my guests do it because – It's a historical and small family-run winery founded in 1920 in Lorenzo, Castellone, in the heart of the Barolo. I know Barolo, guys. Barolo region (laughs) in Piedmont, Italy. Everybody say hello to Lorenzo Scavino. Uh, Lorenzo attended the Enological School in Alba, which is the most prestigious wine school in Italy. He graduated summa cum laude with the title of Go figure. Analogist. Uh, Lorenzo works full-time alongside his father, Luigi, at... Adelia. Adelia, <laughs> I need to... I really need to work on my my foreign language skill. Uh, participating in every step of the process, from the work in the vineyards to the winemaking and sales management in Italy and around the world. Everybody, this is our first international winemaker. Please welcome Lorenzo Scavino. <laughs>
1: Thank you, MJ. Wow, I'm excited. Your first international. Yes, language. that's great.
0: Yes, yeah. Um, what a great start. Well done. I know, <laughs> I know. I went right to the top. <laughs> 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 um, so, uh, as I said, he's out in the market. He's got a grip of wine. Uh, he's got a bag full of wine. Um, but I've, I, I've, i I love Dolcetto. I think it's in the states. It's it's uh, overlooked. You know, everybody drinks. I know, I know, it's not your region, but Chianti. You know what I'm saying, everybody. You know, everybody knows Sangiovese and they know Chianti, but I love Dolcetto. We have a Barbero, uh, we have um, your Nebbiolo, which is not in the, obviously in the Barolo or Barberesco region. I'll let him explain that to you guys. And then he brought uh, a 2010 Reserva uh, Barolo, so we got something special. So um, your boy might get a little bit tipsy, <laughs> um, but. Um, Let's start at the beginning. You're a fifth generation winemaker. Yes. Uh, what's it, I don't I don't like what's that What's that like?
1: Well, it's uh, not that easy, <laughs> <laughs> especially because I am an only child. Oh, so it's so no even, yeah. yeah, yeah. even worse. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> even worse. Yeah, that's why I say no pressure. <laughs> it's a, really a huge responsibility. But, uh, you know, when you grow up in a wine family, it's always a different story. Yeah. Because um, when I was a small child, I used to play in the vineyards, in the cellar. Uh, at the yeah. beginning, it's like playing. Then it becomes like a real job. Uh, there's also some slavery in between, some <laughs> child labor. Yeah, child labor laws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but that's how it works, you
0: know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, let's go back to the beginning. Who, who uh, founded the winery back in 1920?
1: So, everything started by my great-great-grandfather. Great-great, okay. Um, And uh, you have to consider that Piemonte was extremely poor back then in the early 1900s. It was just like like a small, typical uh, Piedmontese farmhouse. Mm. Uh, My great-great-grandfather had uh, all the animals, cows, horses. Uh, They had fruit trees also. So, peaches, apples, that was their production. And they already had vineyards, smaller uh, quantities uh, of grapes just for the family, for a few friends. But at the beginning, they weren't even making wine. Okay. Because at that time, it was quite unusual. You know, they were just making extremely small quantities for the family, but that was it. Right. Then after a while they started to realize that uh, in the Lange region where where I live we have such a unique uh, soil composition uh, we have these hills which are so beautiful with amazing exposures to the sunlight so they were like let's start vinifying these grapes my great great grandfather was actually one of the very first who started okay. in the in the area. Uh, with the purpose of uh, really vinifying his own production of grapes. It wasn't easy at the beginning because, uh, as I say, Piemonte was extremely poor. Just think about buying all the equipments in the cellar to make wine. It was something big. Uh, but he had a great success. Uh, little by little, more people started to come to, into the yard ER because they wanted to buy wine as it was good. So he was able to increase, to buy more land, and to focus only on vineyards. Mm-hmm. But it took uh it took a while. It took a while. After after him, my a few decades later, okay. my great grandfather started bottling the wine for the very first time. Because back then everything was sold in bulk. Okay. Uh and it was again one of the first in So the people era. would buy
0: like a barrel, they'd buy like-
1: yes. We, they were very common in the, in Piemonte These uh, glass containers called damigiane, okay. the damigians, mm-hmm. where uh, people were just buying wine and they were bottling it at home. Okay. It was just easier for them. Uh, my great grandfather started with bottles, glass bottles, which were uncommon, very <laughs> uncommon. He started using you know corks, labels. It was something nobody used at that time. Uh, huge investment. Because uh, it was really, really difficult back then. People were... Families were starving to death at that time. Yeah. They were all farmers. Families were very big, like 10 children each. So, it wasn't that easy. But he was very brave. Uh, very, I think, also um, open-minded. Being, you know, at that time in the early 1900s, he was uh, very, very unusual.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine. Um because we we think you know these all these countries were still kind of young right so like you know this is like you know Italy's been through two world wars but so like yeah. and and before that there was a lot of poverty i think people don't understand we we see tv here and we just we see italy it's beautiful and the restaurants but it, it you know it it was a developing nation yes yeah, yeah. yes
1: and it took a while you know <laughs> to to develop such a
0: such a wine region yeah yeah and and, and and so that was your that was your your great great grandfather who started using labels in court, right? Yes. Okay. Um and so <clears throat> then there's <laughs> so many great greats. So then <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a it's lot it. to process. <laughs> like uh-huh. the people here in the United States, we don't we don't have, you know, we don't know who are, we we well we could look it up if we go on Anstries.com, but we don't we don't we don't have direct ties to like our great, 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 you know, so that's yeah. also something really, it's really cool. Yeah, but uh, you, you did have them, right? Yeah, I, 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 I'm here. I, there's proof of life. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <coughs> so, uh, and I, I'm like, this is a lot for even me to process. Like, I'm trying to ask questions. Um, and I didn't even drink on the last show. <laughs> um, so, and so this is again. There's no, there's no DOC, no DOCG. Back
1: then, not yet. Yes. It was totally different. Uh, even Barolo wasn't called Barolo yet. Right. Um, it was a totally different region. Uh, also, just think about um, spreading the word. Uh, back then, without, of course, the internet, without other ways, of, without media, anything. I, I mean, it, anything was more difficult because um, their neighbors, my great-great-grandparents' neighbors, they knew they were making wine. They started making wine, but not other people. Just think about uh, transportation. Yeah. When uh, my grandfather, uh, not even my great-grandfather, right. my grandfather, so we're talking about not really many years ago. When he was young, he was like 18 years old or something. When he was able to sell his wines to Turin or to Milan, he was like exporting wines at that time. Mm-hmm. And if you think that he was delivering a couple of cases of wine to Milano, riding his horse, and it took him a couple of days to go back and forth, that is really incredible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that
0: that is incredible. I had yeah. a little taste of what it was like because i got to interview uh piero master berardino oh, yeah. and he had like, these documents like like you had to get on a boat to come meet someone to maybe represent your wine in a different country like sure like, like and there's a story of like he's got his uh his horse in his cart and he's delivering the wine yes it's... and 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 these aren't, there's no paved roads it's like like that's like we're so blessed. We live at this time. Um, <laughs> so, <clears throat> let's back up a little bit, though, because we I don't even know where to go. It's so I'm just overwhelmed by the history. Um, so you said like you used to play in the vineyards, and then it wasn't play, and I'm sure some child labor laws were broken. Um, but what were you like? I mean, you were only child. So what was it? What was it like being an only child? Did you like? Did like? Like there's there's no neighborhood. Like is there another farm adjacent? Like did you have friends or like
1: yes, it's where I live, Castiglione Falletto, mm-hmm. which is a small village in the very heart of the rural area. Okay. We are seven hundred people. Wow. <laughs> That's it. All the rest is vineyards everywhere. Okay. So practically we're all related. You yeah, know? it's the same family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's uh it's really a great community. Um when you grow up there, it's so different. Like my parents never forced me to to be a winemaker, uh, to become a winemaker. It was my choice. I decided to attend the the enological school, the wine school, when I was fourteen, mm-hmm. uh, quite young. It's a six year program, so it's pretty long. Six years of viticulture, chemistry, and uh, enology. Uh, I used to help even when I was attending the school. I already helped in the vineyards like during the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then immediately after my graduation, I started working full time for the winery. You know, they needed help. Being an only child, they needed help. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> especially in a small family-run winery like ours.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so,
1: that's how it started.
0: So, yeah. what you studied uh, chemistry, analogy, and agronomy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know my I know a lot of people know uh, enology obviously that's wine chemistry. What's agronomy?
1: Agronomy is about uh think about the vineyards, okay. so viticulture, everything about the vineyards. And also it's a good school. That's actually um the oldest school in Italy. Uh and it has its own uh, winery and vineyards. So this because not all the students are from wineries. Oh, okay. So you really have the opportunity to um, to try uh, the, to be a winemaker in their vineyards, in their cellar, it's a very good school. For me, it was different because, you know, having the winery at home with my yeah. father, my grandfather, my grandmother, uh, it was a totally different experience. But still, the school is a very good base. It's uh, very important. Long, but good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, during those six years of school, I understand you used to tra- you'd get, You got to travel to wineries in France and Spain. Um, what did you take from those uh, visiting other wineries in different countries and different wine regions around the world?
1: Well, it was a great experience. I was still quite young back then, but still it was a great experience because uh, even countries uh, which are so close to ours, like France and Spain, um, they have such Differences compared to our winemaking, compared to our viticulture in the vineyards. So it was very interesting for me uh, as a young student to to see what they were doing different compared to my home. So um, it was very very interesting, especially because we visited bigger wineries, smaller wineries, pretty much everything with the school, uh, and it was interesting to see huge realities which we don't have in uh, in Italy. Mm. That mm. was very interesting. The, um, what I learned the most, I think, is probably um, the fact that uh, I have to um, respect what my ancestors did. Mm. Uh, not many families, because I had the opportunity also to, to meet so many winemakers from other wineries, other estates, and not many families have such history. Yeah. And uh, we're here thanks to my great-great-grandparents, who decided to work the land Uh, and at that time you have to consider that working the land being a farmer was an inferior job Mm. and nobody wanted to do that all the new generations wanted to leave they wanted to be employed in torino or milano the biggest closest cities Mm -hmm. uh, because they didn't want to be farmers it was like very inferior to be that and, and now it's like the other way around. Well, now it's, it's sexy. It's, exactly. Yeah. It's, I uh, mean, and
0: even here in the yeah. United States, people are like, oh, I'm going to start a winery in Napa. You know, I'm going to, you know, it's it, it's become, just like, it's so funny what you said. It's just like polenta was like peasant food, and now yes. now, now it costs yeah. like thirty dollars. Uh, exactly. Right very fine restaurant. You know, it's crazy. And also, though, I mean, I think about. Even with the machinery you have, like how hard work. But you're talking like a mule and, you know, you're like it's yes. hot sun. Just that's hard, yeah. hard my, work.
1: My great-great-grandparents were working in their vineyards with oxen. Yeah. And that is, if you think about it, that's really... I mean, nowadays we have all the machineries that we want, even if it's still mostly by hand. Because yep. in Piemont, in Barolo, we have very steep hills. Yeah. So, um, like in the Reserva vineyard, in the Brico Vogueira, mm-hmm. the top rows are so steep that it's too dangerous to drive a tractor there. So, yeah. it's totally by hand. That's a crazy amount of work. And that's really like it was in the past. It was really like that, but for the, for the whole area like in all the vineyards it was all the hunt
0: yeah um is that a thing with italians because I, the italians a lot of italian uh the california market owes a lot to italian immigrants um and there's a mar- there's a winery called martinelli they have a vineyard it's called jackass hill because you would have to be a jacket like you can't put a track like you'd have to. like is that why do you why do you uh why would someone plant on a steep dangerous hill because it's the most
1: expo- it's the most beautiful exposure uh it receives more heat more sunlight usually um, the most uh, difficult uh, uh plots to farm are the best ones it's always <laughs> like that unfortunately <laughs> it's always like that and also the highest part of the hills, the hilltops are the best positions and that's of course the hardest part to farm. Yeah. But the hilltop always receives more sunlight and also more wind, which is very important in Barolo to push away the humidity because we, we can have a lot of pressure with diseases, powdery mildew, downy mildew. We want to avoid uh, the humidity. And so the hilltops are really ideal for that
0: gotcha gotcha so you you were at uh the school in Alba for six years that's and but I think like you're fourteen when you start, that's amazing um whereas it was a bit
1: illegal you know to bring uh, uh, wine at that, yeah, time.
0: yeah, well, no, yeah. just a bit. <laughs> Um,
1: but I was already drinking I started when I was five or six years old so for me it was just you know normal to drink wine at that time that's what I by the time I was 14 it was like
0: yeah (laughs) that's what I understand like when you grow up uh, in in the culture it's a little bit different like you know they give you a little bit with your dinner just cause you know that's what everybody else is doing um so, you graduated summa cum laude. So, you were like the top student. <laughs> what what drove you to work so hard? Like, I mean, because you could be like, eh, we've been doing this for, for – I'm the fifth generation. I got this. I could coast, you know.
1: That's my father. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that. that's my boss. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's uh, his fault. Yeah.
0: <laughs> For sure. Talk about that. What is is your dad like, man?
1: Well, uh, he's so demanding. Um, He's, uh, I I must say, he's a terrible perfectionist. He pays attention to any small detail, which really makes a huge difference for him. Uh, That's why it's not so easy to work with him. You have to get used to it little by little. It takes a while. (laughs) And he really wants to do things his way. He always has the final say, of course. But I think he can, uh, that's pretty fair because uh, he has a crazy experience. This year it's going to be his 44th wow. harvest. Wow. So, I mean, almost 45 vintages. That is incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He has already experienced everything in the past warmer years, colder years, extreme droughts, uh, humid vintages. And since we're farmers, he's always able to adapt the works in the vineyards. But to work with him, to live with him, it's a, you know, it's a, <laughs> a big family affair. And, uh, yeah, especially, I don't know, he's never satisfied, especially with uh, my work, or, uh, <laughs> I'm quite used to it now, but at the beginning, it's tough.
0: Yeah. yeah. You
1: have to really build your character. <laughs> and uh,
0: <laughs> Yeah. It's uh... Yeah, and that could be tough because typically what would happen outside the wine is like your parents would build your character so you go out in the world to get beat up by your boss. Um, but your boss is the one who's building your character and, and but knows where he left all the flaws that he can beat you up some more it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like not really fair. Right?
1: And especially, you know, being an only child, it's always my fault.
0: Well, you don't so, have anyone else to blame.
1: Exactly. I mean, that's get, the thing. You're just you're screwed, man. Think that when I started working full time for the winery after my graduation, he was like, "You're not gonna ruin our wines in the cellar," <laughs> <laughs> and so you have to start in the vineyards only. So for the first three years, I was working full time in the vineyards only, not in the cellar. Mm-hmm. He didn't trust me.
0: Well, that's interesting because. A lot of my American winemakers say the wine's made in the vineyard, and you just, you know, you've got good fruit. Just don't fuck it up in the cellar. But that's interesting that he's like, he's like, no, 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 no. Just go out there with the grapes.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and those, are – you know, the vineyards are the 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 hardest part of our job. Yeah. You know, working. Uh, we can have a hundred degrees in the summer. Steep hills, running up and down. We can have a meter of snow in the winter. Uh, while we're pruning with the snow at our knees. It's, um, I mean, huge shifts and long hours in the vineyards. You know, it's farmer's life, so it's tough. But I think that uh, that was really a a great start for me because I I was working at that time alongside with my um, grandmother. Okay. Uh, And so there was really a priceless education in the vineyards. My grandmother and uh, Angela... Uh, she this woman has worked for us for almost 50 years so I had these two bosses in the vineyards my grandma uh, and Angela uh, who really taught me everything about the vineyards it was really really wonderful tough but wonderful
0: there's a theme here man it was rough to be only child (laughs) fifth generation (laughs) winemaker um so there's a lot of history in in your region too. So I understand that um during World War II uh how did they hide the wine cuz this was a thing all over uh Europe where the Nazis where they were they were just taking everybody's wine like how did your family um or how did this your commune how did they deal with that that threat
1: Uh that was uh, my family actually experienced uh two uh, World Wars mm. the first and the second so uh because they were making wine already uh, especially for um, the for World War II, where we have more records coming from the family and the great-grandparents, uh, uh, they still managed to make wine even during the war. It wasn't that easy because uh, working uh, out in the vineyards, it wasn't that safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the areas in Barolo were bombed. Wow. Uh, we had the Germans in the area, we had the partisans, so it was really a uh, pretty uh, tough uh, moment, especially during uh, those years. Some of the vineyards were turned into battlefields. Uh, they still managed to make some wine, not like uh, the standard quantity, mm-hmm. but they still managed to to make some. We have uh, the oldest bottles that we have in our private collection are from 1932, Okay, So those bottles survived the war, uh, and uh, they were hidden by my great-great-grandparents during the war in fake walls in the cellar underground Mm. in order to keep them safe away from Germans who were there to steal the bottles, to break them. That's really a fantastic collection. I mean, it's amazing to be able to still have those bottles, which are still drinkable. Right, because Barolo—it's you know, one of the most age-worthy wines on the planet. You can keep it almost as
0: long as you want. See, they representing this whole region, man. No, that actually is true, and particularly, um, we'll get into this later. But like back then, they they used the big like the big Slovenia, like those wines were like Titanic tannic, like they, yes. like they needed like twenty five years. Like okay, it's 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 okay, and you might want to drink it you know
1: yes it, it was uh it was a totally different style Barolo was super uh, tannic powerful you really needed to wait for 10 or 15 or 20 years before drinking drinking it yeah. uh, also because uh not just because of the aging but also because of the fermentations just think about the fact that uh, it was impossible back then to control the temperature during the alcohol fermentation mm. they didn't have temperature control tanks of course oh, right. at that time <laughs> So in a uh, very warm vintages, they had uh, the alcoholic fermentation going up to uh, over forty Celsius, which is, I mean, too high. That it was really extracting everything. Uh, or on the other uh, side, when it was a uh, colder vintage, it was uh, really hard to have the fermentations going on from the entire process until the end. So um, mm-hmm. it was very, very tricky. And that's why Barolo had a different style back then. Mm-hmm. They had so few tools to control the quality in the vineyards and in the cellar.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of the vineyards, um, you're in uh, Falletto, correct?
1: Castiglione. Casti- Say the first word, okay. which is more difficult. I
0: know. I'm <laughs> cheating.
1: Castiglione Falletto.
0: Castiglione Falletto. <laughs> um, but actually, aren't almost all of your family's videos in Cerro Lunga de Alba?
1: Yes. Okay. Bravo.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, I, I know a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, so, like, your name is Scavino. Yeah. And there's some other famous Scavinos, right? Sure. We Are, are you guys related?
1: We are related, <laughs> yes. We're our cousins. Yes, sure. As I told you, in Castiglione, Falletto, well, if you people, have the same, yes, yeah. you are all related. <laughs> yeah, kind of <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Such a small area. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you guys share ownership of Fias- Brico,
1: Brico Fiasco, Brico yes, Fiasco. which is our historical vineyard of the family. In okay. the Castiglione, right, uh, very close to our winery, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really in the heart of the Barolo area.
0: Okay. It's a beautiful vineyard. And so, what what wines do you produce out of that vineyard? Also Nebbiolo or just Barbera and Dolcetto? Uh,
1: out of uh, that vineyard? Yeah. It's only Barolo. Okay. okay. Yes, only Barolo. It's, it's all Nebbiolo because mm-hmm. that's really... Mm, the center of the Barolo production, so it's uh, which is tiny. I mean, that vineyard we own about two point five hectares, so we make five to six thousand bottles. Okay, it's
0: pretty small. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's. Just, I'm glad you're on because I've been doing uh, this thing with some friends of mine down in Jersey who they they have a, a shop and all they sell is Italian wines. Uh, a restaurant. Uh, shout out to Birravino. Um. Um. And Italy's home to like – how many different indigenous grape varietals are there in Italy? We have so many hundreds. Don't you have a different... degree in this stuff? <laughs> Summa But <culetta. laughs> But it's, it's over – it's in the hundreds, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: It's definitely
0: yeah.
1: – I think it's close to a thousand.
0: Wow. Um, and – we know Nebbiolo, we know Barbera, Notello. Are there any other grapes in that in your region? That
1: uh, Yes, uh, the mo- of course, the most typical uh, grapes uh, are for sure Dolcetto, Barbera, and Nebbiolo, the most uh, historical ones. We have many other grapes which were slightly, I would say, more common in the past. Then they disappeared because they were less cultivated, mm-hmm. like uh, Fresa, uh, Nascetta, uh, Grignolino. We have many. We have many, but um, Nebbiolo is for sure uh, the oldest one. It was born in Piemonte, uh, and it's actually one of the oldest uh, varieties on earth. There are traces of uh, Nebbiolo vines planted in our region in 1200s. So that is, if you think about it, that is unbelievable. Yeah. That's why Nebbiolo really requires our soils, our weather to grow at its best. You can find Nowadays, you can find Nebbiolo vines planted all over the world, mm-hmm. um, here in the U.S., in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. But actually, if you taste the wine, it's very hard to recognize it because mm-hmm. it's completely different. Nebbiolo really requires Piemonte, and we're
0: so proud of that. I can just smile on his face. <laughs> um, I mean, but that, I definitely, that, that that goes to, um, you know, uh, um sense of place or terroirs it's called right like it just yeah. um you can grow lots of things lots of places but where is it at its uh purest expression yes yeah, and that would be this very unique place um so now i'm like so you have any cousins uh over at the other at the Paolo scavino uh, estate there yes i have two cousins see yeah. and 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 uh do you uh, bitch them about being the only child and they're lucky because there's at least two of them?
1: Well, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. You know, they get. <laughs> there are two, so it's. Yeah. Uh, they kind of this, they can divide, you know. It's, uh, we always have uh, so much fun together because, you know, it's a, it's a great family. We get along, so yeah. we share, sometimes we work together, also we have fun together. So it's really a great uh, community. We live very close to each other. Okay. And it's funny because we sometimes we, we see each other more often abroad doing events, r- you r- know, <laughs> tastings <laughs> rather than at home because we're always running here and there. So that is very funny. Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) and we're always eating and drinking together. Of course, you know it's a part of our job. Uh, We have to.
0: (laughs) I know, I know. That's what I tell people. You don't understand. (laughs) That's what I have to do. So um, I'm, I'm have this. uh, What do I have? I have the Dolcetto. Talk to me about the the 2019 Dolcetto a little bit.
1: Dolcetto d'Alba. That's our um, everyday wine in Piemonte. Mm -hmm. So it's very fresh, fruity, flowery. Good to be enjoyed young. Uh, ours is a particular Dolcetto, Bricco dell'Oriolo. That's the name of the vineyard. Okay. So it's actually a single, single vineyard, Dolcetto, not blended. And the vines are 55 years old, which is very unusual for a Dolcetto. Normally, Dolcetto comes from younger vines. But my father is very, I told you, hes uh, very picky, terrible perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Uh, even for the base wines, he wants to have older vines. He only He only wants to work with older vines. So, even in Dolcetto, we have this concentration, this intensity, which
0: is very particular. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying it's not, I mean, Dolcetto, this is delicious. But like you said, it's typically, it's just lighter. Yeah. Um, um This has great acid, but it's typically a lighter, fresher thing. If you've got, if you never tried a Dolcetto, think like a, a Cru Beaujolais almost. It's kind of like that character. But this is deep. It's got some serious uh, complexity going on in it.
1: I always say that Dolcetto is our pizza wine. Yeah because uh you can just pair it with uh, whatever you prefer goes well with it mm-hmm. uh, even by itself a little bit chilled it's very refreshing or antipasti starters appetizers that's just perfect it's so versatile
0: yeah,
1: yeah. and this dolcetto is on top of a hill facing full south it's very normally dolcetto because dolcetto is the cheapest grape in barolo right. in the area we have to say that and normally uh, it has the worst locations because that's what remains for dolcetto the Mm -hmm. best ones are for nebbiolo and barbera yeah so normally you would have dolcetto at the bottom of a hill facing north Uh, that's you know that's not really the best ripening actually dolcetto needs the same amount of sunlight of nebbiolo to ripen at its best here, in, with this vineyard, Bricco dell'Oriolo, we are a little bit outside of the Barolo area. It's another village called Montelupo Albese.
0: Montelupo Albese. Bravo. <laughs> I have to do it right You're away. learning. I, I am. Learning. I, I'm not going to waste this time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and in Montelupo Albese, since it's outside of the Barolo area, there is no Nebbiolo. So we can use the best positions for mm. dolcetto. That's right, top of a hill, full size. It's like a barolo position.
0: Mm. I like that. Let me use that one. It's like a barolo position. <laughs> um, <laughs> so <clears throat> let's 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 talk th- talk about your father for a, a, a few moments here, w- w- which he's uh, obviously inside of the theme. But you said he has this older vines, even for like this dolcetto. Um, has he shared with you what it was like? like when he took over from his father like what changes did he institute into uh the winery the viticultural practices and and uh what was his what do you know to be his uh contributions to where you huh. where you're about to take off from eventually he
1: maybe. did <laughs> maybe <laughs> I think I had to to wait at least another 30 years yeah. before taking over because <laughs> my father will never retire yeah. and i'm actually very happy with that yeah. at least we can share responsibilities yeah. <laughs> no my dad uh, did so many things when uh, he took over um i think he took over about my he was about my age like 30 or something mm-hmm. uh, he did so many things um my grandfather was a very uh, open-minded man, okay. uh, which I, I think it runs in the in the family, like also in the blood. It's also my great-great-grandfather. It's always been like that, always uh, pioneers, visionary, doing new things which other people uh, weren't doing. And uh, my grandfather was already experimenting a lot. When my father took over, uh, he started experimenting even more. Um, He started introducing, I remember that's really probably one of the first things he started doing when he took over. He started grain harvesting, which at that time was uh, very unusual. He started reducing the yields in the summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, After a trip to France, he saw that uh, some of the growers there in France were grain harvesting, meaning that they were cutting some of the clusters uh, during the summer, before the the real harvest, in order to just leave them on the ground as natural fertilizers, but the main purpose was to uh, concentrate the grapes which were remaining, in order to have a better ripening, better balance, elegance, finesse. And so my dad had a trip to France and he saw that, and he came back with this idea in mind. Also, because uh, since my grandparents had fruit trees, they were producing peaches, apples. It's funny to to think that they were already doing that with fruit trees. They were reducing the amount of apples or peaches uh, per each tree so that uh, the ones remaining were sweeter, tastier. But they were not doing that with vines. See, that's
0: interesting. I didn't realize – I mean, that makes sense. Here in the states, we call it they call it dropping fruit like they yeah. go they yeah. drop fruit, you want to re- reduce the yields. um I had no idea I mean it makes sense that like you would drop peaches, you would drop apples yeah. so you get riper, more luscious fruit
1: yes and and uh, the interesting thing is that they were not doing that with vines, yeah that's, I mean, that's uh, <laughs> because at that time it's it was especially with vines, which had a more limited um let's say, market, yeah. grapes, um, it was important to have uh, the biggest possible yield. Right. And right. so that's why they were really trying to produce as much as possible. With fruit trees, it was a different thing because they had a bigger market, so they really wanted to have the best fruit to sell. That was the difference. Yeah. And my father was like, why don't we try with vines, with grapes? And at that time, they were still very, you know, the region was still, was still very poor, My grandfather, my grandmother were not that happy Mm -hmm. because mm, dropping fruits, dropping grapes Mm -hmm. at that time was like throwing away money 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 on the ground. ground, Yes. It was something, you know, (laughs) something like, are you out of your mind or some, what happened? (laughs) But my father being so stubborn already, he was like, let's try, let's try at least in some vineyards. He started doing that, my grandfather was pretty upset, disappointed. Uh, But then after tasting the first vintage, the first result, he was extremely happy Mm -hmm. because the wine was completely different. Mm -hmm. It was uh, more balanced, it was actually sweeter, sweeter in the sense of the tannins. The tannins were smoother, more integrated in the structure of the wine and he was not expecting that, my grandfather. And so the year after that my, my father started dropping fruits, started green harvesting. Green harvesting, I like that. In uh in all his vineyards and that was a, a sort of a, um, innov- innovation in uh,
0: piemonte in barolo i was going to ask you what did the, in addition to your grandparents were, you, were your neighbors like they're crazy over there what's going on with those yes. scavinos yes
1: especially <laughs> especially uh, the older generations which were who, who were more um, you know close-minded um, they were really thinking like that and it took years and years before, because nowadays it's just normal to draw fruits. Yeah. It's, I yeah. mean, everybody does that. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. But at that time, it took years and years. And my father was uh, not really the first one, but he was uh, in a group of the of these very first producers who started doing that. And yeah. he was brave, because...
0: Uh, Again, like you said, I mean, um, it is, literally is money on the ground. Yeah. And, and, and you have to re- recover, recoup that later. Um, but I love the story about how um, your grandfather just loved the wines. Yes, like the uh,
1: that was so satisfying, also for my father, because uh, you know, doing something uh, it was affecting the entire family. It wasn't that easy.
0: Now, your father is—is is he the only child as well, or does he have? He some? has a sister.
1: Okay. Yes, and uh, she used to work for the winery as well with the with the family. She's now retired. Okay. She's just enjoying wine. We're making wine, and she's drinking wine. So. <laughs> <laughs> my end. <aunt>, yeah, <laughs> that's
0: great. That's great.
1: Yes. Okay, so um <laughs> and also so, another thing, my father did yeah, after sorry, sorry. the 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 green harvest, he started introducing uh the small
0: barrels, the okay. barriques. Okay, so he's one of those generations who went to. It's, there was a, I, I read the articles like there's a few. Renegades are like because yes. they went to Burgundy.
1: Yes, that's okay. it. Yeah.
0: That's it. Because barriques were nobody used
1: barriques in Italy, they were just being used in uh in France at that time. And so my father uh was uh really experimenting a lot with these smaller barrels. Um Barolo was born in Botti, in okay. the big barrels. So, again, it was something uh, pretty strange to use these smaller containers, which were actually more spicy because uh, the the bigger the cask, the smaller the ratio of wine to the wood. So, that's why usually the big barrels, the botti, are less predominant on the wine. Normally, you would taste the barrique a lot more because mm-hmm. uh, it's a smaller container. Mm-hmm. Um at that time when barriques were introduced in Piemonte and we're talking about 30 or 35 years ago, uh, everybody was experimenting 100% new oak, 50% new oak, 80%, 30 mm-hmm. because they didn't know. Uh, my father actually never used too much new oak. I think it was about uh, 30% at his maximum because he always wanted to uh, respect the raw materials, the grapes, um, and uh, yes, he's been experimenting a lot with that um, and also with so many uh, other equipments in the cellar, like particular crushing machines, particular presses, pumps. Pumps in the cellar are, I think about every time we have to move the wine from one tank to the other, from tank to barrel, we use a pump. Mm-hmm. And so the quality of the pump is essential. Mm-hmm. He started using these um, particular pumps, which are called uh, peristaltic pumps, which are super soft. They Because every time you move the wine, it's a stress for the wine. And these peristaltic pumps, which are crazy expensive, uh, they are small and uh, it's like buying a crazy expensive car. <laughs> so, and you look at them and you're like, really? That is the cost? But they work very well. They have a sort of silicone tube which press the, presses the wine through. There are no metal parts in contact to the wine. Okay. It's super soft. During the harvest, we can even uh, pump grapes, berries, perfectly intact without crushing the berries. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a great help wow. to be gentle on the berries. Right. It's actually the same system used to uh, pump the blood uh, from surgeons when they operate to the heart yeah
0: mm. um i you said something that reminded me of something when i first came in my business that like uh, another i think it was i don't know was it trim box somebody but like what you said um every time you move the wine it's you're you're messing with it at a molecular level so you want to be as gentle yes as possible very important yeah, yeah.
1: very important yeah and also for the same uh for the same thing when you bottle the wine, immediately after the bottling, the wine has to rest a little bit because it's always a stress, a stress for it. Yeah, yeah. These are small detail details which really make a big difference.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what else did your uh, what else did your crazy dad do there? The the, the rebel <laughs> do we have of enough, the region.
1: Do we have enough time? Yeah, we got. Yeah, we got. We got time. <laughs> <laughs> He's been also experimenting a lot in the vineyards, um, also in the selection of the clones for okay. the for the new vines, which we are always replacing when the old one, ones die. Um, he's been experimenting a lot with um, new Nebbiolo clones, which we actually don't like. Because uh, when you plant a new vine, mm-hmm. then... Maybe you like it at first, but then you have to think about the evolution of the wine, uh, especially for Barolo, which can be kept forever. Maybe you like mm-hmm. it when it's young, but mm-hmm. you don't like it anymore when it gets old. Mm-hmm. So, think about when you plant a new vine, it takes four years before the first harvest. Then the evolution of the wine, it takes forever. And he started when it was about 30 years old, when he took over, planting new Nebbiolo clones. And he realized that just by following the evolution of the wine that... Uh, uh, he really doesn't like these new mm. clones because um the the final result the wine is completely different. it gets darker, which Nebbiolo isn't uh also these clones of course are more resistant, they're stronger, more resistant you know mm. with diseases in the vineyards it's easier to farm them. But um also they have uh, tannins which are harsher. Um it's difficult to have uh, to achieve a phenolic a complete phenolic ripening. So um, now nowadays we just use our uh, original old clones, mm-hmm. which are lampia and
0: miquette. Lampia and miquette. Yes. All right, I just poured I'm giving everybody an Italian wine, listen. So uh sorry for moving the mic, everybody. <laughs> need to be professional. So now I'm on the uh, Barbera Alba. Um, most of my listeners are from the United States. I do have, I'm sure we're going to get a big spike in Italy uh, because you're on. Um, but uh, talk about um, like Dolcetto you said was like the village wines, the pizza wines. Uh, talk about Barbera's status inside of um, Piedmont. Barbera um, has been uh, one of the most uh,
1: planted if not I would say the most planted grey variety in Piemonte for so many years okay yeah very typical wine Uh, it's I would consider it as another everyday wine just like uh, Dolcetto but very different if you look at the color Barbera is always darker very purple very Mm -hmm. intense Mm -hmm. and that's genetics okay because in the cellar we have the same process the same fermentation maceration Barbera is just darker And also has a higher acidity, which provides a great freshness in your mouth. And it has almost no tannins. So it's like opposite to Nebbiolo. Uh, For everyday drinking, it's perfect because uh, like the Dolcetto, it's easy to pair. It's easy to pair. Of course, we have our typical pairings, our pasta pairings in Piemonte. But the Barbera, with this acidity, which really uh, is helpful to clean your mouth while you're eating, Again, just like the dolcetto, drink, drink it with whatever you prefer.
0: I had a question because I'm sitting here with a real Italian from Piedmont. What is like your regional cuisine there? I mean, because I watch TV shows and they say this, but like you live it. You've lived it. We have an incredible
1: cuisine in Piedmont. Uh, it's really amazing. Um, we have our typical um, antipasti. The vitello tonnato. Is the most one of the most famous for sure, and it's probably, well, not probably, it's definitely my uh, favorite <laughs> uh, Piedmontese dish, which is. It sounds like a strange pairing if you have never had it. Uh, I can translate it as tuna veal. Okay. So it's a sort of um, veal, uh, similar to a roast beef, but it's not. Okay. It's similar, with a um, sauce. Uh, it's a mayonnaise with tuna, capers, and anchovies. Mm. It's a very particular pairing because think about tuna and veal. I mean, yeah.
0: nobody does that. Surf. We call it surf and turf here, man. <laughs> 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 you can get it at the Sizzler for twelve ninety <laughs> <laughs> nine. <$12. laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit different. Yeah, here. I think you, <laughs> <probably laughs> <laughs> you think? <laughs> so, for instance, like, I never – like that – I love that you share that. Like I – I've never seen on all these shows where people go to Piedmont. I've never heard about this dish. Yeah, the
1: Vitello Sonata is definitely one of the most famous. And uh, anywhere you go, uh, the recipe is always a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Uh, The veal is always different. the, The sauce is always different. So I have so many friends uh, who are also obsessed with Vitello tonnato like me. Uh, and so we're always touring around the entire area, entire Piemonte region, to always try new different uh, recipes for Vitello tonnato. It's a hard job, but uh, we do it. <laughs> <so>.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, it's tough. Um,
1: vitello Tornato, then we have, well, the another typical antipasto is the um, carne cruda, Okay. Which is actually the raw meat. This is very simple. It's um, raw meat. Uh, we have a very particular breed in uh, Piemonte, which is called Fassona. Fassone. And um, it's this famous uh, meat, which is very lean, but very tasty at the same time. Only in Piemonte. And we eat it raw. It's super tasty. It's gorgeous. Just that... some olive oil, okay. some salt and pepper, if you like. It's usually the real recipe it's cut um, with a knife by hand. So it's uh, like in very very small uh tiny pieces.
0: It's super good. All right. Well, then that we've had some antipasta. What what what, what what's next? What's and then that? we have pasta. Yeah.
1: Of course. Yeah. Pasta uh, there is such a variation of in, in Piemonte for sure, uh, agnolotti del plin which is this filled pasta Mm -hmm. with this meat and vegetable uh, filling. They are incredible. Uh, Every grandma makes agnolotti del plin at home. Again, with different fillings, different recipes. Mm -hmm. You can add a little bit of uh, parmesan in the filling, more vegetables, more meat, three different meats. Uh, It's usually um, beef, rabbit, and pork Mm. with different proportions. And it's always a secret recipe, you know. Of from course, the grandma. it's his grandma. She's not, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this uh, fresh egg pasta. Uh, it's they are gorgeous. They are gorgeous. Just uh, super simple. You boil them with, uh, and then you add some uh, butter and sage. Mm. Super simple. It's really fantastic.
0: Did your grandma make make?
1: Of course, the yes. She, uh, it was your favorite, right?
0: Yes. Okay.
1: I was also making this with pasta. Her? Yes, with her. Yeah, it's great. It takes forever cuz to make like a a ball of the agnolotti <laughs> is like half a day. <laughs> but it's so worth it. Yeah. yeah. And then we have the tajarin, which is another pasta. Okay. Thaiarine, uh They're like a very thin spaghetti. Uh but it's egg pasta. It's fresh pasta. Uh normally the the original recipe it's 40 yolks per kilo of flour. Particularly okay. they are like uh, almost I wouldn't say red but orange. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this pasta is uh, so intense but so good. Yeah. And with then, the ragu, with the ragu
0: sauce. And, and what type of ragu is, is there typical is it like I know some regions have wild boar is there a typical yeah, ragu wild boar or, or
1: Wild boar we we have that um mostly in the winter okay. we we'll eat it with wild boar ragu. Uh otherwise beef. Mm. With the, always the fasona, that's like the perfect one. It's lighter, really. That's what I prefer.
0: Yeah. yeah. And what else? Give me one more.
1: I'm getting hungry here, I, huh? I know.
0: <laughs> I am. I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm definitely have coming to, to visit. You're going to take me all these places. Yes, you have know. to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to come hungry. in In Barolo, the restaurant scene is incredible. Anywhere you go... And it's restaurant like every house is either a restaurant or a winery. Oh wow! So, <laughs> so it's really like that, and anywhere you go, even like the small locande, osterie, trattoria, the quality is unbelievable. Really? Yeah. yeah. So after the pasta, we have the the meat. Of course, we have uh, well the most typical. I would say is the braised meat. Okay. Brasato al Barolo, which is is a uh, super Tender uh, braised meat in Barolo. Mm. It just melts in your mouth. It's like super soft, super tender. Yeah. How do you stay
0: so fit, man?
1: <laughs> you know, we're working in the vineyards. So running oh, up and down that, those uh, steep, right, hills. The
0: steep hills. <laughs> that's right. Steep hills. You're an only child. Yeah, you know, so you're doing, yeah,
1: got it. That's a total body workout, <laughs> resistance training, whatever you call it. It's. Uh, it works.
0: <laughs> you know, we got to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more uh, Lorenzo. So we'll be right back. All right. Are you ready for another great distributor to look for when shopping for fine wines and spirits? Let me tell you about Independence Wine and Spirits, or IWS. IWS is one of the hot up and coming distributors of fine wines and spirits headquartered in New York City. Like Taub Family Selections. IWS is owned by the Tao family, who have re-entered the New York wholesale market, bringing the family back to its roots in distribution, where they held court from 1951 through 2004. IWS is proud to represent an exceptional portfolio of high-quality, terroir-centric, and historic producers from around the world, including Italy and France, where they have an exciting roster of burgeoning Vin Rollins from Burgundy that are coming your way soon. They also have domestic producers such as LaCoya, Cardinale, Staglin, El Molino, and many more. To learn more about IWS, go to independencewine.com. Hey, are you looking to order that special bottle you had on vacation? Uh, Do you need to find a bourbon your boss has never tried? How about wrapped bottle gifts for teachers, coaches, or your sales force? Grapes, the wine company, can provide all this and more. They do Zoom tastings, winemaker dinners, wine-driven charity events, cellar consultations, and stellar suggestions. They do it all. Did we mention Burgundy? If you left your heart and bone, there's no better stateside destination to shop for red and white burgundy. Not to mention the great wines of France, Italy, Germany, the US, and Spain. That's grapesthewineco.com. Okay. So um we're just getting workout tips from Lorenzo on total bottle workouts. We should we should you know what we could do, man? Listen, ask ideas. All right, so we're like new best friend. You're my new best Italian friend. Um, we're gonna do like we'll do like we'll do a harvest boot camp. Like we'll bring people over. And they, I love that. Right? <laughs> we need more workers. Exactly. exactly. Right. Exactly. We'll get people. To, we'll we'll get people to pay us to come work your vineyards to lift crates of exactly, grapes. Exactly. That would be
1: something. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> my father will love that too. I think. <laughs> You know, in, during the harvest, we're always in a in a hurry, like crazy, like totally. If you come during the harvest, we seem like uh, I don't know, out of our minds. Because uh, when uh, when we decide that we have to pick a vineyard, my father can wait for not a couple of days, a couple of hours. Yeah, and talk then we have to pick.
0: That. Yeah, because I've heard, so. like I I heard like there's certain regions, um, like if you don't pick the grapes, like you you're like the levels get out of control like there's these I don't like like what's the window uh for like picking grapes for like what's the window for picking like barbera dolcetto and and then also and then we'll get into nebbiolo what like what's what's that like cuz harvest is crazy it's just like 30 days of hell for most people yeah
1: also because you you've been uh you've been working an entire year for that right and you can damage everything right. you know? it's um the first of all the decision of the picking date is crazy Because there you really determine the quality of the grapes. If you pick too early, the tannins are green. They are not fully ripe. And they will never ripen in the bottle. If you pick too late, then the grapes will be... The wines will be overextracted, too jammy. We don't like that. Uh, So, um, prior to the harvest, my father and I always uh, walk in all our vineyards to taste the grapes. That's the old method. My father really prefers the old methods. What do you taste for in a grape... We taste the grapes. We taste uh, the sweetness okay. of the grapes, but it's more important to look at the color of the seeds. Okay. They must be dark brown. That means that the tannins are fully ripe. If, if they are still light brown, you don't have to pick them. Then you have to chew the seeds with your feet and there is a particular taste which tells you that the tannins are ripe. It's not easy because I mean it's a seed, so it, it will always be bitter. But you have to really train yourself. Mm-hmm. There's really this particular taste which tells you, okay, you can pick. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you all these tricks now. You can...
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, man. I, I live in Jersey. I'm not really going to help me grow any grapes. <laughs> Definitely not. Maybe you know, maybe some sweet off hybrid grapes, but don't worry, your your your, your family's uh, domain and secrets safe. are safe. Yeah, okay. you're good to go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> until your father hears it be like you told him all our secrets right exactly <laughs> exactly he's gonna be mad <laughs> <laughs> and then we also do chemical analysis like okay. sugars anthocyanins mm. pH everything but my father always prefers the old method so that's
0: what you learned in school right. and then he's like I don't <laughs> need that I, exactly I, I got it appear yeah <laughs> exactly
1: it's always like that
0: <laughs> it's always like that <laughs> <laughs> alright so then like <clears throat> You guys, it's time to pick grapes what What happens? Hell <laughs> <laughs> those are really uh, like crazy the, days. like do you start early in the morning? some people I know do you harvest at night is like depend on the yeah. grape? There's no need in Piemonte to harvest at night. Okay. Because
1: especially these, uh, these gray varieties are not subject to oxidation, okay. at least as much as the white ones. Yeah. So, there's no need. Normally, we start quite early in the morning. It uh, can be, depending if it's, uh, you know, also depending on the season, on the vintage, can be 6.30, can be 7 a.m. And we have older people there, our workers who are very well trained we're about uh 30 people 35 25 depending uh and they're all well trained because we do a hand selection in the vineyards so we examine all the bunches one by one in order to eliminate any green or damaged berry and then uh, we place them in these small uh, little crates of 18 kilos each super small And that's really the worst way to do it because uh, you could also use uh, bigger containers. Uh, And instead of using uh, 150 smaller crates, (laughs) you can use one big container. So imagine the number of times that we move these little crates. It's crazy, like 50 times each. But that's in order to avoid to crush the berries in the vineyards. Because if you use a bigger container, of course, all the grapes, the clusters at the bottom, they're all crushed already. And at the bottom, you would have a a lot of juice, which is actually, by the time it reaches the winery, it can be oxidated, Mm. especially if it's a warmer season. Mm -hmm. And we want to avoid that. That's why we use these smaller containers.
0: Now, is that something your your, your father started or that just was adopted regionally? It was
1: already um, my grandfather and great-grandfather were already using smaller containers. Yes. They were already kind of ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we bring uh, these grapes um, back home to the winery. Again, we do another selection. So we have a sorting table. We make sure to use just the very best berries. We eliminate any leaf which is maybe in between. And uh, then we crush the grapes gently because we never want to, to break the skins too much. And then in, uh, we place them in the fermentation tanks. Longer fermentations for Barolo, shorter for the base wines: Dolcetto, Barbera, and But those days are crazy because they are never ending. Really, we start uh, can be seven thirty a.m. Mm-hmm. and we continue picking that vineyard until it's finished. And uh, it can be seven uh, in the evening, can be ten mm-hmm. in the at night. And also, uh, when we are back home after the vineyard, it's not finished because uh, my father wants to crush the grapes the same day they are picked. Mm. We don't want to leave them overnight, always to avoid the oxidation. And so we may continue until midnight, 1 a.m. in the cellar, crushing grapes. And the morning after, 6.30, we are in the vineyards. And it's like that for like two months. Mm. You can only imagine. September and October. Mm. Of course, we have some uh, breaks in between the varieties, you know, Dolcetto, to Barbera, then to Nebbiolo, at least we can... uh, Catch our breath, but uh, but then uh, it's really it's not just uh, hard as a physical work, but also mentally, okay. because after an entire year of work, you can really uh, damage everything. You can have a hailstorm, which in literally thirty seconds can ruin your
0: entire crop. So that is cra- oh, so now so now. Um, so, now I just poured a little bit of your uh, 2020 Nebbiolo. So, Nebbiolo, we Americans, we like our grape varietals. You know, it's hard for us sometimes with like our regions, you know. Um, so, Nebbiolo is a grape that is used in Barolo and Barbaresco. Um, why is this a Nebbiolo and not a Barolo?
1: It's a Nebbiolo Lange, even if if it could be a Barolo. Okay. It's our choice, actually. Okay. Okay. Because uh, these vineyards come from the Barol area, okay. Castiglione Falletto, that you learned. Castiglione
0: Falletto. Yeah. Castiglione Falletto.
1: You can call it CF if you like.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm I, listen. I love my New Jersey Italian accent. <laughs> Castiglione Falletto
1: and Serra Lunga d'Alba.
0: Serra Lunga d'Alba.
1: Which are in the Barol area. So, we could actually make a Barolo with these grapes, okay. but our langenebiolo comes from our younger, youngest vines, okay. which are 20 years old, so not that young, but that's too young for my dad to make a Barolo. So, that's why every year we declass them from Barolo to biolo, a step lower in the denomination, so it's uh, our choice. My father really wants to have um, this kind of freshness, which is ideal in biolo approachability, drinkability, and with younger vines we can achieve that.
0: So I have listeners who um, are just, I have people who have been making wine for years and MWs, but there are people who, who, just because I'm a goofball and I I think I'm funny, uh, listen to the podcast. um, Tell them about Nebbiolo as a grape. Nebbiolo, uh, we
1: are so proud to have this grape in Piemonte. I mean, uh, it's such a unique grape, which really reflects the location of the vineyard, the terroir, the soil composition, the microclimate. It's so specific and it's, uh, so Piedmontese, it's so Piemonte. Nebbiolo is Piemonte mm. and, uh, there's no other grape like Nebbiolo because Nebbiolo has power structure due to the tannins. But at the same time, it has acidity, freshness. It's very hard to find another uh, variety on earth with these two uh, features combined together. Usually, you you have either power or finesse Mm -hmm. or freshness or structure. This is like a, a fusion of everything. And plus the aroma. The aroma is outstanding. Fresh fruits, fresh flowers. But it's really a mix of everything cherries, raspberries in mm. particular for Nebbiolo. Raspberry is a typical feature in Nebbiolo. And these fresh flowers, like uh, violets, roses, mm. so typical. And Nebbiolo, of course, uh, having all these tannins is so easy to, to farm. Because uh, the more tannins you have, the more difficulties you have to achieve the phenolic ripening.
0: Mm.
1: Also Nebbiolo, has the longest cycle in the vineyards is the first one which starts the bud break in yes the, okay. in the in the spring and it's the last one that we pick so it's also the most risky variety because it can ha- happen anything during such a long cycle uh, it's also mm, more subject to diseases compared to other varieties um less uh, resistant But the good thing is that it has roots which go very deep into the soil. Okay. So it can be a very dry year, a very um, humid. Down there, Nebbiolo never suffers with older vines, of course.
0: Very cool. And you
1: have all these different expressions of Nebbiolo, like the Lange Nebbiolo that you're tasting right now. Uh, it's another everyday wine for us, yeah. like the Barbera and the Dolcetto. Those are all everyday wines for us because you drink it uh, young. The year after the harvest this is 2020, mm-hmm. which is just perfect to drink now. And uh, and then you have the expressions of the Barolo, the Barbaresco, which are more intense, powerful. But I love the Nebbiolo for everyday drinking, not just for our typical pairings, but also for... Um, I like to break the rules with pairings. So I like Nebbiolo with fish. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot.
0: And I would say it, this. You look at the color. I mean, you can drink red Burgundy with fish. So that makes yeah. sense to me that you would uh, this the this style. Um, when was there like was there like a change to um, so Lange Nebulo, Lange Nebulo? Um Who like was was there a movement to like let's create something that. Is more for everyday drinking. Like, was that was your father part of that wave, or when did that kind of uh, evolution happen? Because I I know even even Barolo has changed, but like 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 a Longina, nebbiolo, you said it's just it's good to go out the gate. Yes, in the past,
1: even Lange Nebbiolo had a stronger style. Okay, so it was more powerful structure. It was more difficult to drink, mm. especially with those tannins. My father um, started with my grandfather. Uh, to age it only in stainless steel tanks. Ah. Because uh, this is uh, also quite particular, because still nowadays, I would say most of the wineries age their mm-hmm. Langenbüll in the wood. Mm-hmm. Less than the Borol, of course, maybe only one year, mm-hmm. but still they age it in wood. Mm-hmm. My father started aging it in stainless steel tanks, like the Dolcetto. In this way, he was really able to preserve the freshness of the grapes. And that's why you have a lighter style, more approachability. And also, you can taste the grapes. Because without the influences of the oak, you can definitely taste Mm -hmm. the grapes. Mm -hmm. In a young wine, the wood, it's easy for the wood to cover everything. Because the the wine is young, Mm -hmm. so um, it's not as powerful as a Barolo. And the wood takes over. Mm -hmm. He didn't want that. And... Thanks to the stainless steel tanks, he was really able to show this freshness,
0: this approachability. Well, it's... What is this like for you? Because I'm, I'm thinking about you're the fifth generation, but like, and we talked about the, you know, the Ferrari of pumps that you guys have, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, like. What have you seen over your life? Like how many changes have you seen? Like all this new equipment, like you a little kid, like, oh, my God, the, you know, they're delivering <laughs> equipment. Like, like, has it gone from like, like you don't even recognize where you grew up a little bit?
1: It's uh, for me. Well, for me, it's normal because it, I, I've always been in contact to new, you know, new equipment, mm-hmm. new tools. Uh, every year, something different to try to experiment, to to work with. So, for me, at the beginning, it was really like playing with all these new things in the cellar and in the vineyards. Uh, It was funny at the beginning. It was uh, sort of, uh, you know, exciting to try these things. I was playing with all these things, uh, trying to, you know, uh, make them work. uh, The crushing machine. uh, uh, Also, presses. So many different kinds of presses. Or just think about the labeling machine, the bowling machine—so many things to to play with.
0: Yeah, that's fun toys for a kid. What about so, like, like what about your like your grandmother, or grandfather? Were they like? Did they look at like all this? What is all this new stuff? What are you doing?
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so especially yeah for the old generation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially because those machines are crazy expensive. They are really, <laughs> yeah, they, they are huge investments. Yeah um but uh when they realized that they were useful gotcha they were happy mm-hmm. not at the beginning because you know <laughs> when you have your son who is really <laughs> spending here and there buying everything yeah. new <laughs> and uh, trying new things and these equipments were from france from germany not mm-hmm. even from italy some of them so even more expensive but it was worth it yeah yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> and still nowadays is doing that my father and my mother is struggling. Oh, exactly. <laughs> she's saying all this, you know, new tractors, new machines, new everything. She's like, uh, are you sure we need all of this like every year?
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah, man, I'm glad you were. talk about your mother. We we know about your dad. We talk about your mother. What is she does she, she work in the winery or just just well talk yeah, about yeah. your mother and, and, and what she uh, does with you guys?
1: She's probably the real boss of the family. (laughs) Like every Italian mama, every Italian mother. (laughs) And consider that uh, there is me, my father, and my mother is in the middle. Mm -hmm. So She's always there trying to mediate the things when my father and I are yelling at each other. Uh it happens every once in a while pretty much every day. But uh <laughs> but in a good way, let's say, you know, when you're working together, passion, living together. Passion, yes. Yeah. And it and we're Italian. Yeah, so Yeah. So think about gestures and yelling I at know. each other. So <laughs> No, I, she's uh <laughs> she,
0: <laughs> she, you, need, you need a series in the vineyard and it's gotta be an Italian. It has to be an Italian with you know before American TV but being an Italian and we'd have to subtitle it it would just be great just to let you see <laughs> you and your dad go at it <laughs> that would be something
1: <laughs> that would be something <laughs> um, my, fa- my father actually always says if we only had cameras filming what we're doing every day here really that will, we would make uh, such a crazy amount of uh, money
0: right <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, they they gave me a question here, um, but I don't have to ask it. You just been you're like, "What's it like working with your father?" Um, but also um, during the, you know, we found this article that Sk- Skernick published said uh, where you said, "My father is uh, and loving with love is very stubborn," um, and that was regarding the the spring of t- 2014, and I guess it was a rainy spring. Yeah. Right. Um, but something great will come in 2024. Um, what was that about? What is that? What was that prediction, Nostradamus?
1: We're talking about our reserva vineyard, okay. okay. Bricobogera, mm-hmm. which is a special wine which we don't make every year, but only in the best oh, vintages. So,
0: so I should have some of this 2010. And right. by chance,
1: oh, by oh, chance, we have here nowadays. Oh, oh <laughs> the last time you made it the, the <laughs> exactly the latest release, 2010. Oh. Um, That's such a tiny production. The Reserva, we make 3,000 bottles only. Okay. It's uh, our oldest vineyard. And uh, it's also one of the oldest in the era. The oldest vines there are 120 years old. Mm. They produce nothing. They have one or two clusters each. The concentration is outstanding. They are like half the standard size, those clusters, with smaller berries, thicker skins, uh, it's kind of scary when we crush these grapes during the harvest. There's almost no juice. <laughs> it's just skins. <laughs> it's just skins. Um, and in 2014, which was a, a pretty tough year mm-hmm. because it was raining every day. It was um, very humid. A lot of producers, I mean, most of the producers were just complaining because uh, it was so hard to work in the vineyards. Uh, when the soil is always wet, it's hard also to, to spray copper and sulfur to avoid the diseases, but my father being so stubborn, he decided to actually invest a lot more time and money in the vineyards in order to be able to have a, a great result at the end. That's a a
0: wow wine, by the way. uh,
1: The Reserva is always (laughs) so special.
0: So he he decided to invest more.
1: Yes, in 2014, uh, rather than just, you know, because some of the producers just decided to give up with the works in the vineyards. The most difficult years are always uh, the most expensive ones Mm -hmm. because uh, they need more time, more money to be invested to make less wine. That's what we did, actually. The cost of production for us in 2014 was like, the double to make 50% of the wine Mm. so (laughs) not many people would do that but uh, we will release the Reserva 2014 in 2024 after 10 years normally we do it for all our Reservas 5 years in the barrels and 5 years in the bottles and the 2014 Reserva is going to be outstanding. It's probably one of our freshest wines.
0: See? this is how you get invited back on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so talk about that um, because that's, that doesn't happen a lot in uh, the United States and in in, in our wine industry um, holding back. Even if someone does keep it in barrel for five years, then they're gonna release it. Um I know that's done the only place other that I know of off the top of my head, um, a lot of Spanish producers do that. They'll 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 like I mean, fuck, Vegas Cecilia will hold shit for thirty years before they release it. You know, Herodesilopia, they'll they'll hold things for like fifteen, you know, crazy. What um how did your you guys, how do you know when it's time to release it? Like, it, it's it's just a minimum. It's, it's five years in Brown and then at least five years. Like, how does your your dad? How do you and your dad ultimately? I know he makes it, but how do you and your dad come to that decision? It's um,
1: it always, of course, depends on the vintage because okay. every vintage we always have such a variation of uh, conditions in any vintage. But for sure, we wanted to have a longer aging for the reserva, given given the age of the vines. Mm-hmm. These vines are so old. And they have this, such a concentration, which really needs more time, both in the barrels and in the bottle before the release. So that's why we came to this decision. Let's do 10 years minimum Mm -hmm. uh, so that the wine has enough time to evolve Mm -hmm. before being released. And we believe that 10 years is the ideal peak also to drink it. That's why when we release it, it's it's actually ready to start a
0: drinking window. Yes. Gotcha.
1: Then, of course, you can age it
0: for another right. 25 right, years. Right, right. But that's like – because most people, if you released it, they're going to drink it.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. And we want the wines to be ready when we release them. Mm-hmm. Not that you have to wait for – like the 2010, which we have released now, it's just gorgeous for me. And in the peak of this 10 years, at mm-hmm. the peak, you really have uh, this mix of still a lot of freshness. Mm-hmm. Like in your mouth, you have this acidity, which mm-hmm. is very alive, very vibrant. But at the same time, you get some of the tertiary aromas, yep. which are the aromas of the evolution, like dry fruits, dry flowers, uh, also licorice, dark chocolate, mm-hmm. white truffles. They are so intense. And In my taste, I really like this fusion of both freshness yep. and some of the evolution.
0: I'm same. I'm same. I'm not. I don't like wines that are too aged. I like them, I like them it's hard to get but like i like them right in the pocket right like when when it's still got that fruit and some freshness but then those those secondary and tertiary notes coming in because i i'm sure you've been in the wine tasting and, and the wine is just too old and people are like wanting because it's old we got you know it's 60 years old we had it has to be good so we're gonna they're gonna talk about all the tertiary flavors i'm like oh, <laughs> that's not me but so i so i like that like you know, you you. It's right at it's it's at the start of the the, the drinking window. Like yes, you know. Um, we like, actually
1: have the same taste, MJ. I really like if I if I can choose. I always tend to uh, pick younger yeah. malriages. Yeah. Of course, if I have the opportunity to taste yeah. something older, it's an experience right. because the, especially for Barolo, the evolution is incredible. Mm-hmm. Even more so if it comes from like. Family yeah. because I can taste the family yeah. history, but my taste I really like the freshness of you the t- new vintages or at least in the ten years yeah range.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of from your family, you, you said there's bottles in there from uh, 1930. What's the oldest vintage you've had from your family?
1: So I this is funny because I never had the the oldest bottles the 1932 bottles. Okay, uh, my father never allowed me to. <laughs> to taste them I'm still waiting wait. he's, he's opened them and he didn't allow you to taste them I'm still waiting what <laughs> I'm
0: still
1: I'm still it's, it's waiting I'm piece. not uh, I'm not old somebody enough somebody called
0: DC uh, Difus <laughs> <laughs> call Children's services <laughs> that's that's cruel
1: <laughs> but he says you know we have so few and we want to keep them that's why that's the yeah, excuse he's like, we have
0: so few <laughs> right
1: <laughs> 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 The oldest I've tried was from the early forties. Well, from my family. World. And it was uh, uh really outstanding. It was completely different because of course the color of it was very orangish, mm-hmm. garnet, mm-hmm. uh almost no tannins. Mm-hmm. Very earthy, mineral, um
0: completely different. But and I
1: mean it's almost a hundred years
0: old. Right. So. And that like that's like your great great like what is that what is it? How do you feel when you when you're like, oh my god. This is like, this is my family. That's your yeah. family in a bottle.
1: It's really like fa- tasting the family history. It's uh, it's such an incredible experience to be able to taste something which was created by your great-great-grandparents and it's still alive. Mm-hmm. It's really something which uh, another wine from another winery, of course, wouldn't be the same emotion. Yeah. Yeah. because uh, and also being able to to have those bottles and to taste them nowadays it's something which uh, I don't know if uh, many people will be able to to have this opportunity
0: mm-hmm. so your dad Luigi also um, is kind of a a pioneer he began he was one of the first people to look beyond Castellone Folletto <laughs> 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 he bought land. I <laughs> learned I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, you broke me down. <laughs> um, he bought land in San Rocco in the early 1990s and additional land purchases followed. And uh, I'm going to say, I want to say Margarita, Margeria. 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 Okay. And Brico Voghera Yes. And Soretta. Yes. Um, and you actually said there's an energy in Soretta due to the microclimate and soil. Um and that Cerretta represents what is history of your family. Talk about what that microclimate, that soil, that mix, what that 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 now we're that we got quotes from you.
1: I'm glad you're talking about Cerretta, MJ, because uh uh Cerretta is our new baby. Okay. It's our new Barolo, uh which my father decided to dedicate to the hundredth anniversary of our winery a couple of years ago. Okay uh it's been really a labor of love which took 30 years in the making Mm. it's funny because cerretta is a new wine but not a new vineyard Mm. my father and my grandfather were able to buy the cerretta vineyard in the early 90s in uh, 1992
0: okay
1: the vines were already planted they were already there but let's say the previous owner wasn't really doing a good job they were not in the best conditions the vines mm-hmm. and my father being a really terrible perfectionist as i said he decided to replace the entire site completely which which was a crazy decision uh it's pretty big it's almost uh, 3 hectares okay which for the size of our winery is big and so we're talking about replacing more than 12000 vines at that time, all by hand, one by one, planting one mm. by one all the vines. My father and my grandfather. My father still has pain in his knees. He still remembers, yes, planting these vines. It was crazy, really. Um, mm. And also, there were particular vines which my father produced through muscle selection from the best vines in our Brico Fiasco vineyard, in our historical vineyard. So also the clones were selected through our genetic materials of our older plants. It was really a particular work. He also decided to uh, add a drainage system to the soil, which wasn't present before. New poles, new wires, everything from scratch. But then the vines were too young for my dad to make a single vineyard Barolo, of course. Right. So (laughs) he would never make Barolo from vines which are younger than 30 years old. So for the first 10 years, he decided to declass the Cerretta grapes into the Langenebiolo. Ah. Not even Barolo Classico at the beginning, Langenebiolo. After 10 years, he used the Cerretta grapes in the Classico, in the Barolo Classico, for 20 years. Now, finally, after 30 years, he was like, we cannot wait any longer. <laughs> Let's release Charetta." And so that's why he decided to dedicate it to the 100th anniversary, because it really represents the, the historicity, the patience, the hard work, the willpower of, uh, of my family. And he's so proud. It's like another child for him. Ceretta and I grew up... So you're up- not an only yeah, child.
0: Yeah.
1: Ceretta Char- and I really grew up together. Uh, she's like my sister. I love it. And uh, my father cares so much about Ceretta, not really about me, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm quite jealous, actually. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he seems more patient with Toretta than he is with For you. sure.
1: <laughs> I mean, 30 years. She gets a lot more uh-huh. slack than you. <laughs> <know>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not many people would do that. Not many people. I mean, 30 years. Uh, also, from a financial point of view, it's a crazy way to... Yeah. And, um, because he just wanted to have older vines, to have a more uh, approachability, more uh, structure at the same time, more finesse, and a better ripening. Yeah. Right. And I always find Cerretta to be our, um, I would say, most energetic Barolo most vibrant i can feel the energy coming from the younger vines uh and it's also for me our freshest barolo i can always taste these herbs mint menthol orange peel Mm -hmm. uh, which are so striking to me it's always very sleek
0: very nice very nice so i mean you you've worked i mean you you uh, you work in the vineyards um Done any work in the cellar with your dad yet? Yes, I started. Okay, so yeah, so you started. In the cellar. <laughs> no, um, I started 10 years ago. Yeah, let's say. yeah, yeah. so you were in Finally. the cellar. Finally. <laughs> um, you're over here in New York City uh, doing sales and marketing. Um, is there. Is there a uh, favorite aspect of the business you have? I mean, it doesn't really matter because you're an only child, so you're gonna have to do all this shit. Exactly. Again. But as <laughs> I thought about. I'm like, that's it doesn't so really funny. matter what you like. <laughs> like, when it's, when it's your gig, it's just your gig. Um, but is there something you really enjoy? I mean, what gives you the most enjoyment out of the, out of that? And obviously, you. I can tell there's a totality, and you have a deep respect for your family and history. But like right now at this point in your life, is there something you? What do you enjoy the most that you're doing?
1: Well, I really like the fact that every day is like a different job. Mm. Because really, one day I'm in the vineyards, one day I'm in the cellar, one day I'm traveling or in the tasting room. So, um, I really like this kind of variation. I never get bored. It's Mm -hmm. always like running here and there. Mm -hmm. And I like that a lot. I wouldn't like, I think, to be uh, focused only on one field. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't like that at all. Even if it it would be much easier. Because it would be just focused there. So much easier, uh, but that wouldn't be really my taste. Uh, If I had to choose, for sure, it would be uh, vineyards, what I like the most, which is um, actually the hardest part of our job, Mm -hmm. uh, really the most, uh, the toughest. But probably, I think, since I started working there uh, full-time in the vineyards only, that's probably my first love with our job and i like to be you know in the vineyards with these crazy old vines Uh, i really enjoy that yeah and it's also very satisfying in the vineyards to work there because um at the end of the day after an intense uh work of those hills which are so steep it's uh very very intense you turn back and you can see what you have accomplished Mm-hmm. So it's very satisfying and rewarding at the end of the day to the fact that you can really see what you have done.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. So, what do you see in your future and uh, and your and your family's future and the, the next generation when you have a son? <laughs> <laughs> Don't start because my parents are are really like, pushing like, for the you are sixth generation. Like, you are so, you are like in you are full you are really Italian like they are on you man. Uh, they're <laughs> pushing for the sixth generation
1: so much.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but just for the winery,
0: not for the yeah family. no exactly. I mean like, we you know no I think I think mom uh, wants some grandkids but dad just wants to make sure he's like I ne- I need to be around to guide this other kid so this one doesn't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> but but like what it like what it, you know there's so much going on you know um like where 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 would you like to see uh the wines of your family going
1: huh, that's uh that's tough because um my you know my my father my grandfather have always been considered among the best Barolo producers in the world, mm-hmm. by the Italian press, the international press. Yeah. So that's why I say heavy, I have ex- heavy, heavy
0: is the head that wears the crown.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have extremely <laughs> big shoes to fill, <laughs> and it's going to be, I think, very tough to go higher than my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, to ameliorate what uh, he has been doing for his entire life uh, because he, as I said he's so uh, paying attention to any small detail that it's so hard to go to do better than him
0: mm-hmm.
1: really it's uh, he, he's paying so much attention but anywhere vineyards, winery, sales that it's not easy to really <laughs> do better I'll try I'll try we'll see yeah. We'll see what's gonna happen
0: <laughs> we will see, and um obviously, you're a lover of all things Piedmont um sure, but if there was there a bottle was there a bottle of wine say in your travels like is there a bottle of wine that like i mean obviously we talked about. You can't touch like a bottle from the 1940s. That was that's your family. But like, like, and during your travels, is there a bottle of wine where you're like, oh wow, damn, that's actually really good wine? Is there a, a, a wine that kind of like knocked your socks off?
1: That's a good question because um, I had the opportunity during my my travels to to taste uh, and to drink so many wines mm-hmm. from uh, like almost you know so many different wine regions from all over the world uh different grape varieties we're always also with my friends producers always comparing tasting mm-hmm. different wines that's uh, what we really enjoy to do uh i think i still have to drink a wine which blew my mind okay. i still have to drink it yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had the opportunity to taste incredible wines, some of them very rare to find, mm-hmm. some of them impossible to buy from mm-hmm. private collectors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have many good friends who are collecting wine, which yeah. is important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think I still have to, to drink that wine. Yeah. yeah. Also because I'm, like my father, very demanding. I have my taste, so, you know...
0: You know what they say, man. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Exactly. You know.
1: I can, that's why I can blame him. We're so similar.
0: We're so, <laughs> so similar. <laughs> oh, my God. That was awesome. I can't believe uh, time's up. Lorenzo. Wow, man. Thank you um, for uh, coming in after a long day in the market and uh, um, just – Sharing about your your family, your family's history, the wines, the history of your region, uh, the foods, everything you share with us. Thank you for being so generous. Sure, curious.
1: sure. Thank you, MJ. It's been a, we had a great time. We had
0: fun. Uh, Listen, <laughs> that's the only reason why. I do it. If it's not fun, you know. Um, so I had a great time. And uh, now
1: you can pronounce Castiglione Falletto Castiglione in a perfect Fremetto. Italian I, I accent. Know, exactly.
0: <laughs> you know what? I'm doing, and I'll tell you what. I'm doing an IG live with my friend, and I'm just going to say it. We're we we're, we're actually going to be in Tuscan. I'm be like, wait, whoa, whoa. I learned some Italian yesterday. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <Folletto>. <laughs> <laughs> um Tell everybody where they can um, find, uh, find you on social media, find out about your family's wines, where, where, what websites, where they go. What we have our um, yeah.
1: official website of the winery, azelia.it. And then you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my name, Lorenzo Scavino, azelia. So you can stay updated on what we're doing in the vineyards, in the cellar, and everywhere.
0: Fantastic. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for coming in. Um, all you listeners out there, don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. That's where you're going to find, uh, information on the wine we drank. We had, he had a whole grip of wine. I couldn't even bring them all out. Um, we'll put his, uh, social handles. We'll put their website so you can, uh, see everything that's going on there. And until the next time to all my Mavericks, my philosophers, my deep thinkers, and of course, my wine drinkers, it's your boy MJ. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.